Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Are you ready for Christmas? Ready or not, here it comes. <laughs> Instead of presents this year, I've decided to give everyone my opinion, so just get ready. <laughs> uh, I think, to me, the best thing about uh, Christmas, though, is always the kids. And it, when our own boys were younger, uh, it was the joy that we saw on their faces. But then, then as the kids got older uh, and now started to have these grandkids, that, that is now our new delight, is to, to get to see them. And though it's a little bit scattered this year for us, uh, we don't get to see everybody until uh, the day after Christmas, all at once, that is. But uh, we're excited that we still get to have that opportunity. So God is good. I appreciate that. I read about a Sunday school teacher who said that Christmas season was beginning and wanted to inform the children that according to the Bible, Jesus is coming twice, once as a baby in a manger and then again someday as a king, which we believe. And, and then she asked the children, she said, how did Jesus come the first time? And one of the children answered, down the chimney. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's kids for you. There's another uh, mom who figured that at age seven it was inevitable for her son to begin possibly having doubts about Santa. And uh, sure enough, one day he said, Mom, I know something about Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. And uh, she thought, oh boy, here it comes. You know, she didn't know what, he, what to think. She, taking a deep breath, she asked him, well, what is that? And she, he replied, they're all nocturnal. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> Which is true, right? Think about it. <laughs> so, so normally uh, when I preach, I start with a text, and you can see the text listed on the PowerPoint behind me here, uh, and it is Luke 1, 67 to 79. But today, rather than starting with the text, I'm actually going to finish with the text. So you can open your Bibles now if you'd like uh, and get them ready, but it's going to be at the end. I know that's weird, but that's just where I felt like I was to go today. So we're going to look today at what's called Zechariah's song. And Luke chapter 1 starts with the story actually of a guy named Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth, who've not been able to have children and are past the age of childbearing now. And even with this disappointment in life, uh, we're not ready for that yet, okay bud? Just keep it right there. You'll, you'll know when to go. All right. So, so even with this disappointment in their life, uh, Zechariah keeps on serving in the temple. He, he keeps doing what he knows he's been called to do. Even You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we get in a place in life where, where things aren't really coming together like we would expect them to. And it's, it's easy a lot of times to just you know, throw up our hands and give up and stop serving. But I'll tell you, it's those who serve through the difficulties and the hard times of life that see the promises of God fulfilled for them. And so, so Zechariah has a duty as a descendant of the tribe of Levi and then of the, of the family of Aaron as a priest in the house of God to serve at the temple. And he goes in to burn incense in the temple, which is a picture of worship to God. There's, as this smoke is arising from the burning incense, uh, just like our prayers and praises will rise to God. Um, so, so this is a, a, sig a sign of worship when he's burning incense. It was a way to worship. In the same way, on the outside of the temple where this great big group of people who are outside, they're also worshiping while he's inside. The, the, the incense is going up. They're on the, uh, again, on the outside worshiping. And all the, it says all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. 
And so the atmosphere, if you will, was charged and ready for God to move. I tell you, anytime we as a people begin to be worshipers of God, and begin to lift strong praises to God, that's why I'm so excited about tonight. I hope you'll all come back and bring someone with you, because I believe that in that atmosphere of praise and worship tonight, we're going to see God move in incredible ways. And maybe some of the things that you've been believing God for are going to happen tonight. I believe that in Jesus' name. So, so uh, an angel appears to Zechariah in this moment, and he and, uh, tells uh, Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And uh, this is something he never expected to hear, and, and that's the problem, which is very interesting if you think about it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 18, now you can show that verse, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So it's understandable that Zechariah, uh, you know, we'd all be, I, I'm not trying to throw the man under the bus here. <laughs> we'd all be in a kind of like, wow, that, you know. But, and so you might wonder why, if you keep reading all of Luke chapter 1, you see Zechariah ends up being punished for not believing the word of the Lord to him from that angel, whereas Mary asks what is a similar question. Show the next verse there, Luke 1, 34. She's told, you're going to, uh, you know, give birth to the Son of God. And she, and she asks, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Now, at, on a service level, those look like similar questions, don't they, right? But I want to I propose to you that the answer to this really lies in the fact that Zechariah has multiple examples in the Old Testament of the promises of God being fulfilled to the patriarchs of the fact that uh, barrenness was healed by God and that women, even in their old age, remember Sarah, of course, and, but not only Sarah, but Rebecca, and not only Rebecca, but Rachel. And, and as you go through the patriarchs and you see the story of, of uh, Samuel being born, that time and time again, people, even in their old age, were able to have children, whereas when Mary is being uh, told what's going to happen, this is something that has never happened before and will never happen again. So, so number one, we give Mary a pass if she has a question, but she's really asking a different question than he is. His, uh, his question, when he says, how can I be sure of this, he's really asking for a sign from God, Right? That's what he means when he says, how can I be sure of this? In other words, give me a sign. And Jesus later on, as he's preaching one time, will, will say these words. He'll say, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So there's sort of a, it's like a testing of God that doesn't need to have. And so I'm really going to give you four lessons. If you're a note taker today, your first lesson's coming up right now. Here it is. It's for those of us who have known God for some time, we're expected to have grown up faith and believe what God says will happen will indeed happen. We're expected to have some grown-up faith. If you, if you want to get more information on this, I actually wrote a book a few years ago, and it talks a lot about having faith in God and the fact that God expects grown-up faith from us, okay? So get after that. Let's be people of grown-up faith. If we've known the Lord for a while, we need to step into it. And, and you, you don't see Jesus getting frustrated any more than when his disciples would not believe when, when he had already shown them who he was, and they wouldn't believe in him and trust him. Peter gets chewed out for not believing and falling below the waves. And I want to give Peter a pass because he walked on water. But the Lord is, is, is really upset with him and says, why did you have such little faith? And I'm thinking, that seemed like great faith to me. But he was expecting more out of Peter because Peter had walked with him for a couple of, or a year or so by then. Hey, I've been walking with the Lord a lot longer than that. God expects some grown-up faith today. So there we go. 
So eventually the day comes when John is to be born, and his relatives and the people were asking, well, what is the baby's name going to be? This was normal. And so they assumed that the child would be called by his father's name. Now, Zechariah, the name Zechariah means God remembers. This is amazing. God remembers. You know, he's picking names today is really different, isn't it, than, we, than back then. We, we really uh, liked the name Andrew for a boy, and when, so when we had our first uh, son, we named him Andrew. And then we had another boy, and we really liked the name Alexander, so we named our second Alexander. So it was a, a few years passed before we had our third, and uh, we went and did an ultrasound. The, the first two, there was no ultrasound. Uh, it just wasn't as commonplace. I, that seems weird. Like, it wasn't that long ago, 30 years ago. But, but they just didn't do it as a matter of business and have 3D and like, you know, tell you how, what color your eyes were going to be and all that. <laughs> you know, it just gets crazy now. So they, we didn't have that back then. So we, uh, we simply went in uh, with the third baby, but there, was, there had been some complications with the first two. So they did an ultrasound, and it was really fuzzy, and the doctor's looking at it. And when he's all done looking at it, and we're, we can't, you know, they say, you see this here? And you're going, no, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you're making that up. There's a lot of fuzzy black and white dots, and you're making stuff up is what you're doing. But anyway, they seem to know what they're talking about. So he says, hey, there's about a 75% chance you're having a girl. So Rhonda was excited. We wanted a girl. That sounded great to us. And, uh, but about two weeks before our, son was, our third son was born, we were sitting down eating dinner, and, and uh, we said, well, you know, just in case that 25% comes along, we probably should think of a boy name. And, uh, and by then, we'd already gotten in the A mode, I guess. So <laughs> we had Andrew and Alexander. I know some of you hate us for that because, like, I don't remember the name of your kids. But um, so anyway, along comes Abraham, and, uh, or, or two weeks before, and we're sitting at the table, and we shared with each other the name that we had both thought of for a boy, and it both happened to be the same which is Abraham, and we looked at each other and said, we're having a boy, aren't we? And yep, that's that. So we knew since we had picked the same name that this was ordained of God to have a, a third son. And so we're fine with that. You know, he's been great and uh, better than the other two. No, I'm just kidding. Take, <laughs> take, take that off the recording. I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so a couple years later, I'm, I'm talking with my oldest, Andrew, at this point. He's probably now eight years old or so. Uh, nine maybe, and we're looking at a $20 bill, and I mentioned to him that the name that was on the $20 bill was the same as his. It's, it's a president named Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill. And then it kind of dawned on me. I said, you know, in your brother's name, Alex, uh, is actually Alexander. He's on the $10 bill. And then it really dawned on me that the $5 bill has Abraham Lincoln on it. And I was like, that is so weird. <laughs> you know, that is really weird. And, uh, you know, and I thought... I, I think that, uh, you know, if, you, if we'd have had one more child and it was a boy, we would have had to have named him George. <laughs> Don't you think? You might, th you might think that, you know, Ron and I maybe subliminally had this uh, fascination with money or something like that. But I think if that was true, we probably would have named our kids Benjamin and Ulysses, right? <laughs> I mean, that would make more sense, I guess, in that story. But the thing is, uh, oh, by the way, did you know Ulysses S. Grant, if you have the day off on Wednesday this week, you have him to thank for that. He was the guy who came up with the idea of it becoming a national holiday. Isn't that awesome? So uh, thank Ulysses next time you see him if you ever do. If you have a $50 bill, just look at him and say, thanks, man. Uh, and by the way, if you don't have Wednesday off, uh, he's the guy responsible for why you're getting time and a half or double time and a half, whatever you're getting there. So that's good. All right. Where, where, wow. Back to names. Okay. Sorry. All right. 
But typically these days, we don't name our kids specifically based on certain meanings. We choose names that we think are good, and if they have a meaning, that's typically secondary. Now, in Bible times, the meaning of names was very important, and many times the name would speak prophetically about what the child was to be or what you believed your child would do or become. And so Mr. God Remembers, Zechariah, right? God Remembers, that's his name is tasked with naming his son. Now, God had already spoken to him through the angel and said, You're, you'll name him John. The name of the boy is to be John. And so, so he, it's important for us to see this, that remember, there's been, uh, in the Bible times, the, the Bible that we have now, if you go through the Old Testament and, and you come up to the book of Malachi, this is the last book that was written, uh, even chronographically. Uh, did I say that right? Chronographically. Chronic, chronologically, that's it. <laughs> had the wrong word. I knew it was wrong. I just couldn't think of the right one. Chronologically, we come to the Malachi, which is the last one written, and it was written around 400 BC. And from that time on, there was no prophetic voice given to people. Think about it, 400 years. I mean, that's a super long time where you don't have any, anything that's being added. There's no prophetic voice of God. I mean, it was just a dark, dark time in terms of the move of God. And that's why things were so primed. And uh, and for 400 years, uh, they were waiting. They were waiting. And in fact, the last words, they are very ominous, uh, ominous can't say any words today, of the Old Testament is this, Malachi 4, uh, 5 and 6. This is the, the end of the, the Old Testament. says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Some verses or versions say, I will strike the land with a curse. So again, for 400 years, the people are waiting for Elijah based on this verse. This is the last time God has spoken for 400 years. But they didn't fully understand their, the prophecy. Uh, many times we don't. It's funny because you can read Isaiah 53 today, and you can read about the suffering Messiah, and you go, man, that's, the, that's exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. It's just exactly like it said. But they didn't know that until it happened, and they could look back and go, oh, it was there. And so many people are wondering, what's going to happen in the end times? What's going to, what, you know, trying to dissect the book of Revelation. I think a lot of that is a lot of wasted time because what's going to happen is when it is said and done, we're going to look at the book of Revelation and go, ah, oh, that's what happened, you know? We're trying to figure it out. Sometimes we just need to remember that it, the book of Revelation is singular. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a bunch of revelations about what's to come as much as it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Just remember that when you read it, and don't be freaked out by it, okay? So, all that to, I'm not saying it doesn't talk about future events entirely, but I think we've misunderstood or attached way too much meaning to certain things in there that we will not understand until they're done. We'll look back and go, that reads like a newspaper. <laughs> that just, that's it. I get it. So, so, so they're waiting, and they're waiting for 400 years. They're waiting for Elijah and, uh, and, and John is the fulfillment of that. He, John the Baptist comes in the, listen, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And, so, and then he comes and he preaches to the Jews the need of repentance. Jesus will later make it clear that, that John was the predicted one to come in the spirit of Elijah. From uh, Matthew chapter 17, these are Jesus' words. He replied and said, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. 
And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. By this time, John had died. He'd been beheaded. It says, in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. See? So, so this, this ties it all together. This is the Elijah that was to come. And so, so how appropriate is it now that this guy whose name means God's remembers is the one who will be the father of John who fulfills this 400-year-old prophecy? Because after 400 years, you might be thinking, does God remember? Is God paying attention here? Does God know what we're going through? And God does remember. He does remember. And so it's time for a new covenant. It's time for a new era that is dawning. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The, the, the thing and the second lesson is this, that we can all have promises of God in the Bible at our disposal, but if we don't put action to our faith, we will never see them happening in our lives. They'll never happen. Remember, now Zechariah gets this promise from God that says, hey, you know, your wife is going to become pregnant. And, and the NIV version there says, uh, it says it this way, after this, his wife became pregnant. And so I, I think the NIV might be a little soft in the way it reads. Uh, other versions say, after these days. And the Greek is more like this. It means sometime afterwards. Sometime afterwards. My point is here, without being too indelicate, that, that somehow now Zechariah, who can't speak anymore because he didn't believe the promise of God, has to go home and communicate with his wife that they're going to have a child together. And how many know that children don't just come by talking? You tracking with me? So, so this older gentleman and his older wife have to go home, and I'm sorry if this is indelicate, but they had to get busy. Right? Okay. And this is just real because you're not going to have babies unless you do that. And so, so there again, there's this idea that we can, we can have the promise from God, but if we don't put our faith into action and get busy with what He's given us to get busy with, the instructions that He's given us, you say, well, what instructions? Well, you can start with the ones in your hand there. That's a great group of instructions. But it, you also might want to be listening to what the Spirit might be saying to you because as He speaks to you and you have the faith. I was talking to someone yesterday who said God spoke to him a number that he was to give in that missions offering today. I said, man, I love that when God does that. You know, when He just speaks a number to you, it's usually something that challenges you quite a bit, right? And so thank God. So, so that's, that's where I'm going. And so the third lesson, if you will, then, is this idea of God remembering. Trust me when I say that God surely remembers. He remembers His promises, and He remembers His covenants. Amen? Amen. So David writes in Psalm uh, 25, verses 6 and 7, Remember, Lord, listen, this is great, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. All right, great, great verse. And then verse 7, watch this. Do not remember. <laughs> Isn't this interesting? Same, same, same guy writing. David's writing in Psalm 25. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. Remember your great promises, your mercy and love. Oh, God, remember that stuff. But don't remember my sins. And you say, well... You know, is that too much to ask of God? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. He delights in remembering His promises, His mercy and His love. And when we repent, He also will forget our sins. It's like an, it's a miracle. It's, a, it's like we can't forget things oftentimes, but God has this power to be able to ultimately forget. You come and you think, oh, I've sinned, I've sinned, and, and you've repented of them, and God says, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
because he has put them so far away that, that he chooses not. It's not that he couldn't if he wanted to. That's not the right way to think of it. But that he has chosen not to remember our sins. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? It's a, so, so then we, we come back to Zechariah. They've asked him, well, what's the name going to be? And he writes on the ta- uh, tablet, he writes, his name is John. And that name means this. So remember, this is God remembers, is having a son, and now his name is God has given or God is gracious. God has given or God is gracious. And this describes the, the new covenant we have with God, this new modality, if you will, of, of the way God is going to interact with human beings. We, we, we go from the idea of the land being struck with a curse, right, from the end of Malachi, to suddenly here comes the grace of God. Here comes the grace of God. Now, John himself is not that grace of God, but he is introducing the grace of God to us. He's the one that's setting the path and opening the way for the grace of God to come to us in Jesus Christ. And so, again, we've moved from God remembers to God is gracious. You can't have one without the other. You can't have John without Zechariah. You can't have the grace of God without God remembering his covenants to us. And so, so now, as soon as he says and writes, or excuse me, as he writes down, his name is John, suddenly his mouth is opened. And the, what are the first audible words that Zechariah speaks when this ability to, re, to speak returns to him after a season at least of nine months, maybe a year later? We don't know exactly how long, okay? And, and what are the first things he begins with? He starts with worship. He starts praising. Luke 164 says, immediately his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak doing what? Praising God. Praising God. He starts with worship. And here's lesson number four, the final lesson I think that we need to lock into today is this. Praise isn't the secondary thing, it's the first thing. Worshiping God is not what we do when we're done talking about everything else. It's a starting place for all that we do. Praise is the first thing we speak as babies. Did you know that? Did you know that? You think those are just words that are unintelligible. They're ununderstandable. No, God understands them because, because you can read it in the Old Testament and Jesus repeats it in the New. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've perfected praise. Come on. I don't think you're getting that. Do you understand the little gurgly noises that they're making? They're working praise. Praise is not the last thing. It's the first thing. Only after you spend time on this, this earth and the, 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 the sin and the grossness of earth begins to come on us, do we start to gravitate away from our beginnings and our root, which is praise to God. Every baby that's born is speaking praise to God from the beginning. And God understands it and He gets it. Again, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants. Come on. What else are they saying? Okay, it's praise to God. So you might want to get a little praise party in your house going on next time your baby starts making goo-goo sounds, okay? You know, say, I better join in with that. There's some good praise going on there. I don't know. So, so it begins with praise, and then we come to our text. See, I got there finally. Luke 1, So he's praising God, praising God. I don't know what he said, but all of a sudden he begins... Uh, and it changes, and it says, uh, speaking in verse 67, it says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now listen to this. And listen to the words of, of Zechariah. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He's come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through the holy prophets of long ago. 
salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, and to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember. There it is. I love that. (laughs) He remembered his covenant. He remembers his holy covenant. I love that. Because here's Mr. God remembers, right? That's his name. And he's saying, look, this is it. God's remembered. And then in verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy. Oh, there's the mercy of God. See, God remembers and now the mercy of God. By the rising... Son, which will come to us from heaven, speaking of Jesus, to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Hallelujah. What an amazing praise song that is. That's the thing that begins to come out of the very first things that come out of the mouth of Zechariah is God is a remembering God. God has, uh, he has kept his promises. He's kept his covenant. He has shown us mercy And he is guiding us into peace. So the tender mercy of God is available to us because God remembers his covenant that was given to Abraham so long ago. His covenant, again, to redeem us from our sins, to bring salvation to us, to show us mercy, and to rescue and enable us. Hallelujah. And like Zechariah did 2,000 years ago, I'm just going to encourage you. I know we did this a couple weeks ago. Do you mind just standing with me and spending about 30 to 60 seconds just giving a praise break to God? If Zechariah can lift praise to God, let's lift praise to God as well. Lift your voice with mine right now. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who remembers your covenant. You remember your mercies. You remember your love to us. You won't forget your promises, many promises to us. And Lord, thank you that you have blessed us with all that we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. We praise you today for being a God who cares about us, who has brought us hope and promise and strength through Jesus Christ. We thank you that the promise is fulfilled through Jesus and Lord that we have salvation. Thank you, you are our God who remembers your covenant and forgets our sins. We praise you for all these things. What a wonderful God you are. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we feel like our fears and doubts have silenced us and even when you don't feel like you have the voice to do so, just decide to praise Him. You understand? Like, like Zechariah literally physically did not have the voice to do so. And sometimes I think the troubles we go through in life make us feel like I, don't, I can't get out praise right now. But just go ahead and lift praise anyway. Hallelujah. Worship team, come on back up. As we finish up today, let's consider this about Zechariah. Again, he kept serving even though his prayers were not answered for a long season. A long season. Eventually, they were answered far beyond what he could imagine. He was, he was just asking for a son. He did not know the kind of son that God was going to give him. The one who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. One who would be, according to the Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit and turn people back to God. You might be facing difficult things in your life right now and hard times in your life, but just like Dory and Finding Nemo, just keep swimming. <laughs> just keep it up. Don't give up. Keep serving God. Keep serving your family. Keep serving in the church and in your community. Just keep praising God. And while we're keeping faithful, as we're praising and worshiping God, that's when the answer will come. In this Christmas season, may we believe again 
and the God who answers prayer, sometimes in unimaginable ways after long seasons of waiting. Amen? Amen. Tonight, seriously, get ready for extraordinary things. I, I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. As we worship and praise Jesus Christ, maybe that thing that you've been waiting on God for, maybe the thing it, that, that, that will break forth in the heavenlies today as we praise Him, maybe that thing you've been crying out to God for will happen tonight, or, or the beginnings of it will happen tonight. Do you understand what I'm saying? For, for Zechariah, it was like, it, had, it, it was still you know, 9 to 12 months out, but the answer came then, didn't it? So expect tonight that as you come, that God will bring the answers. Two weeks ago, we saw that Mary praised God before she saw any evidence, and we, uh, we lauded her for that. Even though she hadn't seen any evidence, she began to praise God already for the fulfilled promises. But today we've seen that Zechariah praised God after the promise had been fulfilled. Either way, praise God, right? Praise Him before and praise Him after. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.